turn with me to Hebrews chapter 9, Hebrews chapter 9, as we sing together. Thank you, Lord, for saving my soul. Thank you, Lord, for making me whole. Thank you, Lord, for giving to me thy great salvation so rich and free. Amen. Uh, A couple things I need to mention before we get into the message. The... uh, Somebody, Department of Transportation or the county, highway department, I'm not sure who it was uh, because they weren't the ones that talked to me about it. But uh, this ditch out here in front of the church on the west side of that entrance over here is full of water. And I got out yesterday and dug out the, the entrance and it didn't have anything in it. So I went to the other end of it and dug it out. And it turns out that the middle of the ditch is much lower than that end of the ditch. But the county said it's a hazard for children because the water's so deep. And sure enough, uh, it's probably f- close to a foot deep yesterday afternoon. don't know what it is this evening, but uh, we're going to end up having to get someone to clean that ditch out in front of the building. I looked at it, and I have no idea where that water is going to go, quite honestly, because... Uh, Looks to me like down here it's higher than it is in the middle and higher on this end. So I don't know what we can do with it, but we've got to get it cleaned out at any rate. And then uh, well, I hope that wasn't the only thing because I was thinking it was two or three things. Yes. I have no idea. Yep. Uh, they stopped. They stopped and talked to Mr. and Mrs. Siebert. Told Mr. and Mrs. Siebert it had to be cleaned out because uh, that water couldn't stand in there. Whoever it was that uh, approached them, they said Modot. I uh, don't know that it was Modot because Modot doesn't have any control over this road. This is the county road. Yep. So, uh, but anyhow, I want to mention that, and then uh, be in prayer for Brother Greg Boer. He needs to get better because he's preaching Sunday. I'll be in Colorado. I'll ask you to be in prayer for me uh, while I'm preaching revival next week. And uh, so, uh, yeah, write it down somewhere, maybe on the refrigerator so you'll see it several times a day. (coughs) Pray for the preacher. Uh, Appreciate that. Um, Hebrews chapter 9, verse 1. Chapter 8 deals with the fact that uh, God had uh, God made a new covenant with the house of Israel. And uh, this new covenant that he's going to make with the house of Israel. He says, After those days, saith the Lord, I will put my laws into their mind and write them in their hearts, and I will be to them a God, and they shall be to me a people. And they shall not teach every man his neighbor and every man his brother, saying, Know the Lord, for all shall know me, from the least to the greatest. For I will be merciful to their unrighteousness, and their sins and their iniquities will I remember no more. How in the world can that happen? It almost sounds like God is going to ignore sin, doesn't it? But that's not true. He's going to... 
come and live on this earth in the holy city, in the millennial kingdom. John said, I saw the holy city descend from God out of heaven. Revelation chapter 21, 1,500 miles cube. And uh, it is the dwelling place for the bride of Christ, for all the believers, for all the Christians. The people who are saved during the millennial kingdom and go into the new age, ages to come. Don't know about all, about all that. The Bible doesn't give any details about it. It just says it's going to happen. Uh, those people will, uh, will be the people with whom this new covenant is made. They'll all know the Lord. Why? Because they're all going to be saved during the millennial kingdom. Not only are they all going to be saved, they'll all know the Lord because He'll be here. And we will be ruling and reigning with Him on the earth. And so, we won't have to teach every man his brother, every man his neighbor. No, they'll all know the Lord. He's going to write His law in their hearts. Everybody will know what's right and what's wrong. And He's going to be merciful. We can rejoice in that. Chapter 9 begins, Then verily, truly, the first covenant had also ordinances of divine service and a worldly sanctuary, the Old Testament tabernacle. For there was a tabernacle made, it's not talking about the, the whole enclosure, he's talking about the tent in the middle of it. He says there was a tent made, a tabernacle, the first wherein was the candlestick and the table and the showbread, which is called the sanctuary. Okay? You walk in, there's a veil in front of this tent. The veil doesn't look like much, but you get inside and on the other side of it, whoo, it's beautiful. Okay? You go in through the veil, as the priest did every day, and on the left-hand side, that'd be, yeah, left-hand side, When, if, if you walk in that door back there, it's going to be on this side over here. The golden candlestick. Seven bowls on top of it with little tiny wicks. And olive oil that flows down and up into these bowls. It's a special recipe. And it burns all day long. Samuel's job at night was to go in and extinguish the lights in the golden candlestick. When he went to live with Eli. Pretty cool. On the other side is the table of showbread. About the size of a coffee table and just about the same height. On it there are 12 gold plates with 12 pieces of showbread. You say, what's showbread? It's uh, pita bread. Okay? 12 pieces of pita bread and a gold lid on the top of each plate. It was replaced every Sabbath day. So you got the golden candlestick there. You've got the table of showbread over there. And right here, in front of the veil into the holiest of all, or the holy of holies, is the incense altar. Inside the veil is the holy of holies. Let's keep reading. We'll see that. After the second veil, verse 3, after the second veil... The tabernacle, which is called the holiest of all, which had the golden censer. 
You say, but Casey, isn't that the incense altar? No, this is the golden censer that the priest took one day a year, Day of Atonement. And he would take incense off the incense altar and put it in this censer, and he would take it inside the veil and carry it around until the smoke filled the inside. Okay? And then he would set it down just inside the veil, go out and get blood for his own sins and offer sacrifice on the, holy, on the uh, mercy seat. And then he would go out again and get blood and take it in and, off, and offer blood for the sins of the people. Okay? So <clears throat> that's where we are. I had the golden censer and the Ark of the Covenant overlaid round about with gold, wherein was the golden pot that had manna, and Aaron's rod that budded, and the tables of the covenant, and over it the cherubims of glory shadowing the mercy seat, of which we cannot now speak particularly. Why can't we speak of them particularly? Because they're gone. Nobody knows what they look like. The Ark of the Covenant hadn't been there since the days of Jeremiah the priest, or excuse me, Isaiah the priest. And uh, Isaiah, Jeremiah, I think it was Jeremiah. Anyhow, uh, that's what Paul is talking about. Aaron's rod that budded. There were some men who rose up in the camp uh, among the tribe of Levi who said, how come Aaron gets to be the priest? And Moses said, because God chose him. And they said, how do we know that? He's just the high priest because you're his brother. And Moses said, okay, let's find out. Everybody bring your rod. Now, I always think of the rod as a tall uh, walking stick, you know, big tall thing. Apparently, it was a short thing because it fits inside the Ark of the Covenant, which is only about four feet long. Okay? So it couldn't have been very long, very tall. But they took everybody. They took each of these men's rods and they leaned them up against the wall of the of the tent, not the tent, excuse me, the curtain around the outside of the tabernacle. They leaned them up against it, and the next morning when they came out, everybody's rod's still leaning up against there, except Aaron's. Aaron's rod is there also, but it has leafed out and has flowers on it and has the almond fruit on it. Okay? Now, if you know anything about almond tree, almond tree is a type of peach tree. So it couldn't have been very long. You can't find a long, tall peach tree. <laughs> okay? You know, the, 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 some of the new hybrids you make. But, uh, but in, the, in those days, uh, and uh, when I was a kid, peach trees weren't very long, and the limbs were all knobby and stuff. That's the reason moms often use those for switches. Because <laughs> it you know, wasn't nice and smooth. Some of you remember that, <clears throat> I hope. Uh, but uh, anyhow, they, so Aaron's rod that budded is inside the Ark of the Covenant. Now, this pot of manna, you remember what happened? If they got enough manna to last two days, it rotted. Decay. Oh, man, it stinked to high heaven. Except on Friday. You could get two days worth on Friday, and it would last through Saturday, the Sabbath day. So they didn't have to go out and gather it on the Sabbath day. God told Moses, go get a bowl of manna, a pot, actually, of manna, scoop it up and put it in the Ark of the Covenant, and we'll just leave it in there. It will signify forever. My watch care over you. 
my, my care for you in the wilderness. It never rotted. Interesting. Hopefully, when the Lord Jesus Christ returns in the Millennial Kingdom, he'll let them find it and bring it out. He may not. There's a verse in Isaiah that says, nobody will ever ask about the Ark of the Covenant anymore. So, because Jesus will be here. New Covenant, they won't need the Old Covenant anymore. But everybody's certainly interested in it today. Anyhow, here's the golden pot that had the manna, Aaron's rod that budded, and the tables of the covenant. Now, these are the tables of stone that Moses carved out, and God wrote on them with his own hand. Pretty cool. If they ever find the Ark of the Covenant, maybe somebody will get to see what God's handwriting looks like. I bet it's pretty cool. Some speculation that instead of having five laws on one and five on the other, one through five, six through ten, that it was one through ten and one through ten, because when you make a covenant, each party gets one. And they put God's copy in the Ark of the Covenant, and they put Israelites' copy in the Ark of the Covenant. But we know there's two tablets of stone. Now, and over that... The cherubims of glory shadowing the mercy seat. The mercy seat. The the Ark of the Covenant. About this wide. About this deep. About this deep. Uh, had over, it was made out of wood covered with pure gold. On top of it was a lid made out of pure gold. The whole lid is solid gold. And out of that lid they formed these two cherubims whose wings touched. And their faces always look down on the mercy seat, observing the law of God. And the cherubims are guardian angels, so they are always aware of when we disobey God, when we disobey God's law. And these two cherubims symbolize the fact that the cherubims were always watching, knowing when we sinned. And once a year, the high priest would come in and sprinkle blood on the mercy seat. And sprinkle blood for himself first and then for the sins of the people. And confess the sins of the people. Some of the rabbis say it would take three and four hours, sometimes five hours he would be in there behind the veil. Confessing the sins of the people there by the mercy seat. We find in the New Testament that the angels desire to look into salvation because they don't understand how God could forgive us and could allow His Son to pay our sin debt with His own blood. It's beyond them. That's something they don't understand. And then how we, once we have been forgiven, could continue to live lives of disobedience and rebellion against Him. Doing our own thing. When we have so much to be grateful for. When we owe Him such an incredible debt of gratitude, how could we not live every moment of every day for Him? It goes on. Verse 6, Now when these things were thus ordained, the priest went in always into the first tabernacle, accomplishing the service of God. 
But into the second went the high priest alone once every year, not without blood, which he offered for himself and for the errors of the people. The Holy Ghost, this signifying that the way into the holiest of all was not yet made manifest while the first tabernacle was yet standing, which was a figure for the time then present in which were offered both gifts and sacrifices that could not make him that did the surface perfect as pertaining to the conscience, which stood only in meats and drinks and divers washings and cardinal uh, and carnal ordinances imposed on them until the time of reformation. But Christ being come and high priest of good things to come by a greater and more perfect tabernacle, not made with hands, that is to say, not of this building, neither by the blood of goats and calves, but by his own blood he entered in once into the holy place, having obtained eternal redemption for us. A more perfect tabernacle? Yeah, the one in heaven. The one in heaven. The one God built. And not with the blood of bulls and goats. No, with his own blood. And obtained eternal redemption for us. For if the blood of bulls and goats and the ashes of a heifer sprinkling the unclean sanctifieth to the purifying of the flesh... How much more shall the blood of Christ, who through the eternal spirit offered himself without spot to God, purge your conscience from dead works to serve the living God? So what's that mean? That means don't let your service to God become ritualistic. Don't do it just because you have to. Always recognize the debt that we owe to Christ. Always be aware that all of those things in the Old Testament were just symbols and pictures of what Jesus was going to do for us. You say, oh, Brother Casey, what does it mean, the ashes of a heifer? Oh, in order for the earthly tabernacle after it was built to be cleansed, they had to find a heifer with no white hairs on it, a red heifer. Okay? Heifer, what's that mean? It means a, a, a female bovine, a cow that hadn't had a calf yet. She was a heifer. And the rabbis are still looking for one. Okay? Has to have less than three white hairs anywhere on her body. If they find three, she's disqualified. Whoa! Sticklers for God said red. What would they do with it? They would take it, sacrifice it, burn the thing up, and then take the ashes and sprinkle the ashes all over the tabernacle for purification. Why red heifer? Because it pictures the blood of Christ. Why burn it up? Because the wages of sin is death. Verse 14, how much more shall the blood of Christ, who through the eternal spirit offer himself 
without offered himself without spot to God. See, what's Hebrews about? It's about Jesus is better. He's better than the prophets. He's better than the angels. He's better than Moses. He's better than the Old Testament tabernacle. He's better than the Old Testament priest. And now, his blood is better than the blood of bulls and goats. And so, if we receive him as personal Savior, it should purge our conscience from dead works to serve the living God. For this cause, he's the mediator of the New Testament. That by the means of death, by the, for the redemption of transgressions that were under the First Testament, they which are called might receive the promise of eternal inheritance. Perhaps a different word for testament here that would help us understand is he is the mediator of the new will. What? Yeah. Jesus left a will. There was the old will and testament for the Jews. And then Jesus comes and writes a new will, his last will and testament, for those who would receive him as personal Savior. And he is the executor of his own estate. Whoa. How do you do that? The only way to do that is you got to die. Because the will's not any good until you're dead. can be changed at any time. If you don't have a will written out, then you need to get one. Because the state's written one for you. And you probably won't like it. Okay? You can get a boilerplate will off of the internet. But fill it out. In that, tell what happens to your property after you're dead. Okay, who gets what? You say, Brother Casey, but I don't have anything. Well, then make up some stuff to keep your kids excited. (laughs) So they'll think they're getting something. No, I'm kidding. If you have small children, children that are less than 18 years old, then you need to designate who is going to be their guardian. If something happens to you. Okay. Here's the deal. Jesus is the mediator. The executor of his new will and testament. That by the means of death. For the redemption of the transgressions. That were under the first testament. They which are called might receive the promise. Of eternal inheritance. For where a testament is. There must also of necessity. Be the death of the testator. That's the person who wrote the will. For a testament or will is a force after men are dead. Otherwise, it is of no strength at all while the testator liveth. Whereupon, neither the first testament was dedicated without blood. No, it was dedicated with blood. For when Moses had spoken every precept to all the people according to the law, he took the blood of calves and of goats with water and scarlet wool and hyssop, and he sprinkled both the book and all the people, saying, This is the blood of the testament which God hath enjoined unto you. Exodus chapter 24, verse 8, if you need to look that up. Moreover, he sprinkled with blood both the tabernacle and all the vessels of the ministry. 
And almost all things are by the law purged with blood. And without the shedding of blood is no remission. It was therefore necessary that the patterns of things in heaven should be purified with these. But the heavenly things themselves with better sacrifices than these. For Christ has not entered into the holy places made with hands, which are the figures of the true, but into heaven itself, now to appear in the presence of God for us. Nor yet that he should offer himself often as the high priest entered into the holy place every year with the blood of others. For then must he often have suffered since the foundation of the world. But now, once in the end of the world, hath he appeared to put away sin by the sacrifice of himself. As it appointed unto men once to die, but after this the judgment. So Christ was once offered to bear the sins of many. Unto them that look for him shall he appear the second time without sin unto salvation. If Jesus had to enter in once a year, he'd have to come back to the earth and die every year. To have blood to take to the heaven to sprinkle on the mercy seat there. But no. He lived a sinless life and died once for all. So that everybody could be saved. So is everybody going to get saved? No, why not? Hey, somebody gave me tickets to a Cardinal baseball game one time. And I didn't go. You say, why didn't you go? I didn't care anything about it. Okay. I've already seen some really... Incredible baseball games where the pitcher hit a grand slam home run and Willie McGee hit a grand slam home run. Okay? And the Cardinals won 16 to 8. They would have won 16 to 5, but they get to feeling sorry for the other team. So they started clowning around, let the other team score three more points. It's never going to be another ball game like that, you know. There's never going to be a reunion like the one in heaven. There's never going to be a time of rejoicing like the one in heaven. Never going to be a situation where people are completely awestruck by the grace of God like it will be when we get to heaven. But some people don't care anything about it. They're too busy, worried about this life and living for this life and accumulating stuff, not knowing that this life is pretty short. Everybody lives about this long. And you don't have anywhere, any idea where in there you are. You know? Did a funeral for a little 10-year-old boy one time. Fell through the ice and drowned in the wintertime. Playing on a pond. He lived about this long. When I was 10, I was back along here somewhere. He was all the way up here. I'm 63. I think I'm about here somewhere. But it might not be. It might be here. God may make me live to be 125. Ooh, I hope not. But it'll be about this long. You know? Oh, you know what? Everybody's not going to get saved. 
But that doesn't mean everybody ought not hear the truth. Ought not be given a chance to receive the gospel. That's our responsibility. Let's bow together in prayer. Father, we love you. Thank you so much for your word. Thank you that Jesus is better. Better than the sacrifices in the Old Testament. Better than the Old Testament tabernacle itself. Better than the high priest who offered the sacrifices. And he has appeared once in the end of this world to offer himself as a sacrifice for us. Lord, help us to wake tomorrow morning with the idea in our minds that God has given us a day to serve him. Another day to give praise to him. Another day to give glory and honor to his name. Dismiss us with your love. Take us safely to our homes. In Jesus' name and for his sake we pray. Amen.